we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. This morning we go to the book of Daniel, the first chapter. And we find some insight in the life of Daniel uh, that I believe will help us as we live in this world that is raging, the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. And the desire, of course, of this culture, this secular culture, is to cast off the cords, to break the bands. In other words, no one can tell us how we are to live our lives. We don't need the Bible. It's an archaic, old, out-of-date, out-of-touch book. That is the message of this culture. And those of us who believe this book and live by it or seek to live by it, are reminded of that on on a daily basis, that we are out of touch. And we are told that we need to get in line and get adjusted to this culture. In fact, there are people who say that if the church is going to remain relevant in the 21st century, that the church is going to have to make some compromises and adjust to the culture. Well, our job is not to remain relevant, is it? Our job is to remain faithful. Now, as we are faithful, we will be relevant. And so may God help us. Now, we learned some lessons here from Daniel. We're going to look at here in Daniel chapter number one. And I've entitled this message, Living a Life of Faith on Purpose. Living a Life of Faith on Purpose. On purpose. I want you to know that if we are going to be the Christians that God has called us to be, we're just, we're going to have to determine, we're going to have to make some choices to be intentional about it. You're not just going to happen to be what you need to be. You're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to determine on purpose to live a life of faith. And we learn these lessons from Daniel and from his three friends. But we look this morning particularly at Daniel. Let's look at it here in chapter 1 in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel unto the king's seat and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. 
And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and of Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. I want you to notice the phrase we find in verse number 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that as we come together to approach your word, that you, Lord Jesus, would be our teacher and our preacher, that the Holy Spirit would remove from us any distraction, and that we would hear your voice, that you would give us understanding, and may we submit to you and to your word and be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask this, amen. Daniel and his friends found themselves in the midst of a nation and a culture that was far from home, that was hostile to their faith. Every aspect of Babylonian life was contrary to what they knew and believed. And in order for them to maintain and live a life of faith, they had to determine to do so on purpose. And like Daniel and his friends this morning, we find ourselves in the, mo- in the midst of a culture that is in conflict with what we believe. And if we're going to remain faithful, then like Daniel, we're going to have to do so on purpose. Now, many people today use this term, and I, I don't think they mean anything by it. We all use it. I've used it. But we use the term, that uh, this term, I'm going to go to church. In fact, sometimes we ask people, do you have a church? Well, yes, I go to church. I I go to church. I go to church with some frequency. Well, the truth of the matter is if we know the Lord is our Savior, we don't just simply go to church. We are the church. The church is not a place. It's a people. The church is portrayed in the Bible as the body of Christ. He inhabits his church. The church is therefore his body. It's referred to as his bride or even as his building. The church is the family of God. It is the people of God, a peculiar people, as Peter wrote, a a, a royal priesthood, a, a chosen nation. That is the church, and we are a part of the church. And so in this hour, we're going to have to do more than just simply go to church. We must be the church. The church in a world that is, and in a culture that is in conflict with our God and with what we believe. Now, Daniel's story reminds us that God is in control even when it seems that he is not in control. For example, in this chapter, look at verse number one. The Bible says, uh, actually in verse 2, excuse me, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. 
the Babylonians attacked. They, they sought to overcome Jerusalem. They, they won the victory, but we understand that God gave them into his hand. Then again, we look in verse number nine. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. It wasn't Daniel who brought himself into favor. It was God who brought him into favor. And that is important for us to note. Then we look at verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill. Who gave it to them? God did. So we learn that God is in control. And even in our day, when it seems like our world is spinning out of control, we need to understand, we need to pause and think this morning. It'll help all of us in our perspective to understand that God is in control. I talked to a friend of mine yesterday, a friend that I've had since I was a young person. Uh, We used to play ball together. We used to run around together. Good friends. He was the best man in my wedding. And uh, I hadn't talked to him in a while. And I said, how old are you? (laughs) Are you 53? He said, yeah, I'm 53. And when I asked him that question, I thought, I can't believe that I just asked him, are you 53? Time flies, doesn't it? And we talked for quite a while. And as we talked, we kind of hearkened back to what we had learned. And he and I grew up in church, the same church together. And I said this to him as we were talking about our world. I said, everything we grew up hearing is happening right before our very eyes. And it is. And it will continue to happen as God said it would. So in the midst of this, how do we live a life of faith? Well, we have to live it on purpose. And Daniel gives us three lessons. He provides three lessons for us who desire to live a life of faith on purpose. And I hope you'll write them down. The first one is this. uh, Daniel purposed to keep his home. I'll explain what I mean by that. Or you could refer to it this way. Lesson one, do not be conformed to this world. Daniel purposed to keep his home. Lesson one, do not be conformed to this world. Now, The Bible tells us that the Babylonians carried the Jews, the people of Judah, captive. They invaded Jerusalem, and they carried them hundreds and hundreds of miles away to a different land, a strange land, a land that was, and a people that was completely different, a way of life completely different from all and any that they had known. And they, they tried to cause them to resettle in Babylon. But Daniel purposed to keep his home. Although he was living in another location, he knew where his home was. A friend in, that I was talking to you about a moment ago, we grew up in church together. We went to Christian school together. And it wasn't irregular for us to Stand together and sing this hymn. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. 
The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You see, Daniel couldn't feel at home in Babylon. And God's people are not at home in this world. We're not at home. And Daniel purposed to keep his home. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse 13, if you'd like to turn there with me, Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse 13, the Bible talks to us in Hebrews 11 of those who learn to live a life of faith on purpose. And in Hebrews chapter number 11, there's just a little summation beginning in verse 13 of those that had been mentioned. We call them the heroes of the faith, the great hall of fame of faith, And in particular, in the context, speaking of Abraham and Sarah, the Bible says this in Hebrews 11 and verse 13. These all died in faith. We're all going to die. But those last two words, in faith, they determine the difference of our destiny. These all died in faith. Believing, that's what that means. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I want you to know that the longer you live, the more you're going to be persuaded of these promises. The more you're going to embrace them. The more you're going to confess that you're just a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth, that this world truly is not your home. Verse 14, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they'd been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. What kind of country? That is a heavenly, he says. A country not on this earth, a country that is beyond this earth, a home not here, but in the heavens. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. You see, this world truly is not our home. And Daniel purposed to keep his home, that he would not be conformed to this world. You see, the Babylonian assault came against them. Look, if you would, in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. (laughs) There is an attack. There is an all-out assault on the people of Jerusalem. And I want you to know that we're living in a world that is in attack mode. There is an all-out assault against the truth of God and God's word and God's people. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 19, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Erwin Lutzer in his book, We Will Not Be Silenced, writes this. He refers to something called radical secularism, the radical secularists. A secularist is one who seeks to remove God from the arena, from the public discourse. And we're living in a secular age. This secularism has invaded all of our institutions, our religious institution, our political institutions, our educational institutions, our families, 
secularism has invaded. And writing concerning the agenda of secularists, this is what he says, secularists are not content to live and let live. They are not satisfied with pluralism and the exchange of ideas. They seek not just to be equal, but to dominate. Their goal is the total capitulation of the culture to their point of view. Dissenting voices are shamed in, into either submission or into silence. That's the Babylonian assault. You Bible believers, you need to be quiet. Keep your religion to yourself. We don't want to hear about your gospel or your Jesus. That, 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 that has no place in the public arena. These are the messages that we are told, the Babylonian assault. But then we see secondly here the Babylonian agenda. The Babylonian agenda. You see, the world has an agenda. Now look in verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. By the way, secularists have their gods. Do you know who their gods are? Their gods are they themselves. You see, the problem with idolatry is this. Idolatry fashions God after the image of man. You've heard people say things like this. Well, you know, my God is a... I like to think of God as... These are comments that people make. They're uninformed com uh, comments. They're not intelligent comments. Because, friends, God is not shaped in our image. No, no, God has made us in his image. We're to be conformed to his image. But the world is looking for a God that they can fashion. And so he carried the vessels of the house of God into the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. You see, their agenda is to profane that which is holy, to make it common. Oh, that book, that Bible that you hold, that's just another book full of fairy tales, full of ancient literature. It's out of touch and irrelevant to profane that which is holy. Jesus, yes, he's a teacher, whatever the case may be, but he's not the son of God. This is the message of the world. They want to profane that which is holy, to make it common. And young people, what I want you to understand is they want to mesh, take elements of your Bible, elements of your religion, and mesh it with their world, uh, uh, one world agenda and their new religion, but they want to truly profane that which is holy. Well, that was revealed when Belteshazzar in his drunken feast called for the vessels of the Lord's house and filled them with his wine and his alcohol and drank them till he was drunk. The Babylonian agenda is to profane that which is holy. The Babylonian agenda is to program God out of their lives. Look in verse 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel unto the king's seat and to the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. 
You see, the king wanted the kids. Who's the God of this world? Who's the prince of this world? Nebuchadnezzar is definitely for us a picture of Satan, the prince of this world. And what is the devil's agenda? It is to capture our children, to capture their hearts, to capture their imaginations, and to to press them to conform to this world to forget about their home and embrace a new home, a home where there is no God, a home where there is no Bible, a home where there is no morality, a home where anything goes except for the truth. He took the cream of the crop, young people in whom was no blemish but well-favored and skillful. They were cunning, the Bible says. And he sought to teach them the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. You see, the Babylonians wanted to remove God from their lives and to replace him with their secular agenda. Now, note how they went about it. First of all, they gave them different names. They gave them different names. Look in verse 6. Now, among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. So they got a new name. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah Shadrach, and to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now those Hebrew names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all help those young people understand who they belong to. Because those names identified them with God. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious. Uh, Mishael, God is without equal. There's none, uh, there's none other beside him. Azariah, God is my helper. Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who the God is that we're speaking of. So every time you called their name, you told them something about God. Well, the Babylonians didn't like that, so they changed their name. And they changed their name to a name that would ascribe some glory, some honor, to their pagan false gods. Belteshazzar, that's what the name they gave Daniel. That name means Baal will protect his life. Those of you who've read your Bible in the Old Testament have heard the name of Baal used often. Shadrach, Hananiah's name was changed to Shadrach. Shadrach was the moon god. Meshach was a name that spoke of the goddess of wine and revelry. Abednego means to be a servant of a god, another god. You see, they gave them new names. They taught them a different worldview. They wanted to teach them the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. They they sought to re-educate them. By the way, we live in a world that is seeking to re-educate our children. In fact, we live in a time where educators, secular educators, are more concerned about teaching our children sexual perversion than they are reading and writing and arithmetic. We live in a time where we, we have teachers who are are revising and undermining the history of this nation to teach a generation of young people that uh, America is a wicked nation, a nation founded on outdated Bible uh, principles that really promoted racism and, and oppression. 
Now, I want you to know there were lots of injustices that have been perpetrated by people throughout the history of this world. But you can't blame the Bible for any of them. But you see, if you want to discredit, if you want to discredit a way of life, then you re-educate them. You teach them a different language, new terms. We talked about that recently. The rules of grammar <laughs> have been broken. It's amazing to think what's happened in just the last 20 years, isn't it? But in spite of this education out, uh, this, this agenda and this reprogramming uh, that, that the Babylonians sought to do, Daniel never forgot where his home was. Now I want to encourage you believers, don't forget where your home is. Don't forget who you belong to. Don't let them change your name. Don't let them change your identity. Don't allow them to change your language. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I renew my mind? I get into the word of God, and I allow God's word to fill me with his truth. I allow the work of the Holy Spirit to transform me, that I may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, Daniel never forgot who he was. He never forgot where his home was. Three times a day, he got in his bedroom and he opened the windows and he looked to Jerusalem three times a day and he prayed because he remembered who he was. Lesson number one, Daniel purposed to keep his home. Don't be conformed to this world. Lesson number two, Daniel purposed to keep his heart. Don't be contaminated by this world. Look in verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not, would you say the next word with me? Defile himself. With a portion of the king's meat or the wine which he drank, therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not, there it is again, defile himself. He didn't want the dirt and the filth of Nebuchadnezzar's table in his body. You see, those who are conformed to the world will also soon be corrupted by it. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 John 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's the desires of the flesh, what we want. The lust of the eyes, man, I'd like to have that. I see it, it looks good. And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's why the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4 and verse 23 that we must keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. We cannot allow the corrupting influences of this world to saturate our heart. We can't take in a diet that the devil supplies for us. It will defile us. So we need to follow Daniel's example, and we need to push away from Satan's table and take a place at the Lord's table. You've heard the old saying, you are what you eat, right? Well, Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
The things you put in your mind, the things you put in your heart, those things determine who you are. What do you watch? What do you listen to? Do you defile yourself at Satan's table? What attitudes are growing in your heart? One of pride? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to discredit me. I don't get enough notoriety. One of anger? One of bitterness? One of envy and jealousy? One of entitlement that says, you know, I deserve more than I've got? Unforgiveness and resentment? Old wounds that haven't been healed? That have developed into festering sores? That cause infection everywhere you go? You see, these are things that Satan lies on the table and invites you to partake in the supper. You have to make a determination, a choice on purpose. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm, I'm not going to watch that show on Netflix. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to get enveloped in this culture of this world that says I have to display my body. You have to make some choices. You have to determine in your heart that you're not going to defile yourself. You say, well, Pastor, that's really hard to do in this world. I agree. And so Daniel gives us some help here. Let's look at it. In verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Now what did Daniel ask for? He asked that he would not have to eat the king's food. Daniel didn't walk in, by the way, in Nebuchadnezzar's presence and say, well, I'm Daniel and I'm here to tell you I ain't going to eat your food. He didn't organize a march. He didn't get up on the pulpit and start screaming red-faced. He just said to the prince of the eunuchs, by the way, the prince that he had been given favor with by God, he said, hey, can I ask you something? Would it be okay if we tried just eating at the salad bar? Oh, I don't know about that, Daniel. I mean, if the king sees you looking, you know, frail and weak, and then I'm going to be in trouble. By the way, there are a lot of people in this world who don't agree with what's happening. They're just afraid to say something. They don't know the truth, but they know what they're being told is a lie. They need people like us who have the truth and know the truth to be kind and gracious and spirit-filled and loving to say, hey, why don't we just try this? And that's what they did. So what did 
what did, what did Daniel do? He, because he had favor, because he reasoned with that young man, that prince of the eunuchs, Melzar, because he did that, he agreed to let him try it. Here's what we find out. Write this down. The Lord will enable you to perform that which you purpose for him. I mean, who was Daniel to say, I'm not going to eat that stuff? He was a servant. He was a captive. He had no say. It's only because God gave him grace and favor that he was able to perform his pledge to remain pure. Hey, young people, if you're going to remain pure, if you're going to remain pure, it'll only be by the grace of God. And you better learn to stay close to him. Hey, mom and dad, if you're going to keep that marriage together, it'll only be by the grace of God. But if you'll purpose in your heart, you'll be amazed at what God will do. Sir, if you'll purpose in your heart to love your wife, God will give you the strength to do it. Just purpose in your heart. Purpose in your heart, and the Lord will enable you to perform it. And then here's the second thing I want you to write down. The Lord will enable you to prove that which you purpose for him. He will enable you to prove it, to demonstrate it, to live it out. Look in verse 15. And at the end of days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. He said, okay, boys, you win. You look better than the guys that have been eating the king's steaks and drinking the king's wine. Your way of doing things, God's way, spiritual nutrition is much better than the devil's way. And the Bible said that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice that we may prove, that we might demonstrate for a lost and dying world what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And when they see you on the job and when they see you love your wife and they see you in the community and they understand that you're different but God's hand of blessing is on you, they're going to see the proof. And so we must purpose to keep our heart. Don't be contaminated by this world. Well, here's the third lesson. Daniel purposed to keep his head. Don't be confounded by this world. Don't be confused. Do we not live in confusing times? You see, Daniel made the right choices. He chose, number one, not to be conformed to this world. He chose, number two, not to be contaminated by this world. Therefore, he wasn't confounded by it. He wasn't perplexed. You see, Daniel knew something, Daniel knew something that nobody in Babylon knew because he read Jeremiah. Now, I think it's pretty interesting. Daniel grew up in a time in Jerusalem where the city had drifted away from the truth of God. They were filled with idolatry. They were filled with immorality. And even though that was happening in Jerusalem, there were still young people who were faithful to God and who loved God. By the way, you can do that too. You can do that too. But you have to purpose in your heart. But see, when Daniel arrived in Babylon, he already knew what Jeremiah had said. 
would you like to hear what Jeremiah had said? I'm going to read it for you. If you're taking notes, why don't you write it down in your reference or write this reference in your notes. Jeremiah 25, verses 8 through 13. Now, Jeremiah said this before Nebuchadnezzar ever showed up in Jerusalem. I'd like to read the whole passage, but we don't have time. Let me just read verse 11 and 12 and maybe 13. Jeremiah 25, 11. And this whole land, speaking of Babylon, shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and this captivity will only last 70 years. God told them that. Verse 12, and it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations. In other words, God says, 70 years and I'm done with Babylon, they'll be wiped off. In fact, God even named the name of the king, King Cyrus, who would overthrow them before the guy was ever born. God gave the name of the king that would overthrow them. Hey, young people, you can have confidence in this Bible. Just like I said to my friend, I things I grew up hearing in church all my life, thinking, man, wow, that's going to happen. It's happening. God's word is true. And here's the good news. We know how all of this is going to shake out. Sin can't win, and faith won't fail. Jesus is coming again. Look in verse 17. Remember now, Daniel purposed to keep his head. Don't be confounded by this world. And God helped him. Look at verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God gave them discernment. Our world is a world of confusion. It's a world of conflict. It's a world in crisis. We're suffering from a crisis in leadership. Our institutions are crumbling. Our land is filled with violence, hatred, and strife. Respect for authority has been replaced with mistrust and rebellion. History is being revised. People are hopelessly divided. We're suffering from an economic crisis, a supply chain crisis, a labor shortage, a health care crisis. Our world is perplexed, and it has no answers. It's amazing. Have you tried to buy a vehicle lately? Just go down and look at the lot. You don't find the cars there. They can't build them. Oh, they can build them, but they can't get the chip. You go to a restaurant that says a 45-minute wait. You look at empty tables and empty chairs. You know why it's a 45-minute wait? Because they can't find the laborers. The same problem is happening in, in healthcare industry. We're told to Take certain precautions and wear masks and get vaccines. 
But when you look at the statistics, it doesn't seem as if it's made any difference at all. Our world is a world in confusion. But we are not confused. Because we know God. And we have his word. You see, Daniel excelled. And God's people can excel. God's young people can excel. Daniel excelled morally. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Daniel excelled physically. Verse 15, his countenance was fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which ate the king's meat. Daniel excelled academically. God gave him knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. Verse 17. Verse 18, 19, and 20, Daniel excelled spiritually. Now at the end of the days, the king, the king had said he should bring them in. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 19. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. In Daniel 6 and verse 3, the Bible says this, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because he of an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. You see, he excelled spiritually. He excelled. And may God help his people to excel. You see, if we determine, if we determine not to defile ourselves, if we determine not to be conformed and not to be corrupted to this world, God will not allow us to be confounded. Now, can I give you a homework assignment? Are you listening? Read chapter 2 today. Won't take you long. Read it. What happens in chapter 2, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. This dream is so troubling and so perplexing that when he wakes up from the dream, he calls all of his astrologers together, his cabinet, the leading educators, the leading scientists, the leading philosophers of the day. And he says, fellas, I've just had a dream, and I need you to tell me what it means. And they said, okay, tell us about the dream. And he said, well, that's the thing, boys. I don't remember what I dreamed. And they looked at him and said, hey, you got to be kidding me. He said, no, I'm not kidding you. I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and I want you to tell me what the dream meant. And they said, there's no way. It's impossible. The only way that you would ever know the interpretation of that dream is if God himself showed it to you. Well, God himself was getting ready to. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he was an angry guy. I mean, you can read about him. He, he, he got angry quite a bit. He said, I tell you what, boys, if you don't tell me this dream, I'm going to get rid of all of you. I'm going to kill all of you. Well, when that news came out, everybody got disturbed. And, and Daniel was in the palace, and he heard something going on, and he said to Arioch, he said, what's the trouble? And they told him the story. And said, Daniel, if we don't tell him the answer, we're all dead. And Daniel said to Arioch, tell the king to relax just for a minute. Give me a few minutes. Let me go talk to the Lord. 
And so Daniel went in. He told his three friends. He said, I want you to pray. And they prayed to the God of heaven. And the Bible says that the God of heaven revealed the secret to Daniel. Well, when Daniel found out what the dream was because God revealed it to him and what it meant because God revealed that to him, Daniel praised the Lord. And then he said, I'd like to see the king. And he went in to see the king. And he said, king, I want you to understand something. God has given you a dream because he's revealing something. And here's the dream. And here's what it means. And when it was all over, after he had told him the dream, I want to read to you the words of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 and verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth, it is that your God is a God of gods. In other words, he is the God of all these little gods that we worship here. And a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. You see, God has a work to do even today. I think sometimes we get down in the mully grubs and we moan in despair about where we are. But let's remember this. God is in control. And God has a plan. And if we will determine to live a life of faith on purpose, we'll see God work. What exciting times we live in. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's be faithful and live for him. But it won't happen slipshod. It won't happen in the hearts of people who say, well, you know, I go to church every once in a while. No, no, we are the church. And we need to live this life of faith on purpose. We need to learn these lessons, don't we? Lesson number one, keep your home. Know who you belong to. Know that this world is not your home. Don't be conformed to this world. Lesson number two, keep your heart. Don't allow it to be polluted and contaminated at Satan's table. Lesson three, keep your head. Don't be confused. You know the answers. The world doesn't have them. You can give them. And God will use us. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.